Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. It's become abundantly aware to me over the years that if you're not directly involved in kids and youth, it's hard to know exactly what goes on in kids and youth. All of the teaching, all of the time spent prepping, even the rooms, the facility, the decorations, as Alex mentioned, um, the team it takes, maybe the shortage of leaders that there is and the need for more people to step into that team because the programs are growing and the rooms don't necessarily grow physically in the facility, that doesn't work, so we need more leaders so that we can access more spaces, more kids more teens, and it's abundantly aware to me that on Sundays when we dismiss the kids and we pray for them as much as we want to put value on them verbally and in praying for them and watching them go out, that's usually where our knowledge of kids and youth ministry ends, unless we're directly involved in kids and youth. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can be hard to place value on kids and youth ministry beyond what we see every Sunday, can it? And if you're not directly involved, oftentimes we miss out how God's at work and how the team is doing and the work that it takes to put together such a ministry. So we want to take time in our schedule this fall as we kick things off to really slow down and celebrate and honor and value uh, the leaders, the team, the budget, the giving, uh, the parents who bring the kids, the youth who come and attend, all of the things that go into Momentum Youth and journey kids, we just want to take a moment and pause and value and honor and celebrate and pray for and support and encourage these multi-generational ministries that we're privileged to have in this church. Because I've been around just a little bit and I've seen other churches and I've been involved in other churches where they don't have an operational kids program. And I remember when my wife and I were taken to the top of the dark stairs leading down to the church basement and the person said, hey, I could take your kids down here, and uh, you know, we used to have a kids program down there, maybe there's still some toys down there, and if you want to leave your kids with us, we can take them down to the church basement, but we don't typically have kids, so we don't really have anything prepared. And that just kind of puts a taste in your mouth as a family coming to a church and realizing, oh, it doesn't really sound like you value kids or the next generation. Here at Faith Baptist Church, we really want to value the next generation. So we're going to spend some time talking about that this morning. Uh, I want to say as we begin, um, Jay, where are you, Jay? Jay, thank you for your words this morning, brother. Truths from scripture, words that we needed to hear. Real and raw and unscripted. Um, Steve and I had the privilege of having some good Thai food with Jay on Friday night, and he was sharing his heart about the calling that God is placing on his life, what he's learning from scripture, his times in prayer and fasting and in evangelism. And so I just want to praise God for what he's doing in your heart. And thank you for sharing that with us this morning. Emma and Fatty. When's the big wedding ceremony? In a week, next Sunday. So uh, church family, here's your opportunity to chat with, encourage, 
give your little uh, tidbit of truth when it comes to marriage and relationships uh, to Emma and Fatty today, their wedding next Sunday. Curtis, Honduras missions trip. When do people need to apply if they're interested? Applications in by the end of the month. The end of the month. Okay, do you hear that? If you're interested in going to Honduras on next year's missions trip, January 26th to February 4th, I think it is, <laughs> applications are available. You need to fill out your application by the end of the month. Sean, do you remember when the members meeting is that you're chairing? Last Sunday in this month, yeah. I think it's September 24th. We want you to be here. We're going to be talking about uh, reviewing some of the projects that we've done through the summer, some of the ongoing projects that we're excited for. Lord willing, we're going to bring new members into our church family. Uh, it's going to be a good meeting. April, when's Fall Festival? October 7th. October 7th. We're doing some things this fall. And I don't know, maybe it's easy to respond with some stress at all that's going on on top of school and getting back into programs. And, but we want this to be all about the gospel, all about our first love, all about loving on our community and our church family and the people who need to know that we love because God first loved us and that message of the gospel. So continuing in this church rally theme, I want to preach a sermon I've entitled Hidden in the Heart coming back to the heart of worship. Um, we've celebrated the baptisms of five teenagers. We've commissioned the Journey Kids and Momentum Youth Team with a plea for more help and for ongoing prayer. One of the ways we want prayer to be practical for our Journey Kids and Momentum Youth Team is that we sent out a survey to all of our volunteers and our team members on what we can really be praying for them this year, what their hope and desire is for the year, what joys and struggles they have in their ministry as they look out to the upcoming year. And we want to subtly pepper those into our content, our newsletter, social media, so that we can encourage you, church family, to be praying for those leaders in those programs. We, we really want to honor, honor and value them and hold them up in prayer. I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart when it comes to the next generation. You know, as parents, we, we care for so many aspects of our kids' life. Maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're an aunt and uncle, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you work with kids, maybe you sit in a church that has kids in it. Some of the first things you realize about having a kid is that you need to feed them. Often. Often. Do you know this, Kate, from experience? <laughs> yep. And I hear as they get older in the teenage years, you can't keep them fed. You need to change them. Hygiene is important. I clipped my children's nails yesterday. And I couldn't believe how fast they grow. They grow faster than mine. You need to bathe them once in a while. If it's summer, you can just throw them in the pool in the backyard and then you're good to go for another week, right? <laughs> um, education is important. Sports are important. We encourage all of these things for our kids. We want them to socialize. We want them to be with other kids. We want them to learn, maybe a musical instrument, maybe other extracurriculars. There are so many aspects of our child's development that we care for and that we consider and that we value and we spend our time thinking about and facilitating. I don't want to shed a negative light on any of that. I'm glad my parents fed me. I'm glad they clothed me. Glad they cared for my hygiene, my education. I'm glad they let me invite friends over. I'm glad they had me involved in sports, that they gave me music lessons. Those were all huge in my growth and development. But the question is, what really matters? 
Because it's great if we have an awesome program, and it's great if the youth are excited to come out because we're doing a bear hunt. I don't know if we've got that in the schedule or not, but it's something they seem to be excited about. I don't really understand the whole program, but they get excited about it. If we were to boil it all down to one main thing for the next generation, what would it be? What about the deeper matters of a child's heart? Andy Stanley is a preacher and an author from Atlanta, Georgia, and he references his father, Charles Stanley, who often asked him the question as he was growing up, how is your heart? Kind of an interesting question for a father to ask his son, isn't it? How is your heart, Andy? Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. This was the reading reminder for the past week. Verse 20 says this. We're going to be jumping around in scripture. We're going to have it up on the screen. I would encourage you to participate in your scriptures. If you can flip through really quick like a sword drill, you might need that today because we're going to be a little fast-paced. Verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, put devious talk far from you, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, turn your foot away from evil. Keep them within your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep. It's the Hebrew term shamar. Keep. Have charge of. It's the same term in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To tend it. To watch over it. It's the same term used with the Ark of the Covenant. Keep the Ark of the Covenant. Keep it set apart. Keep it protected. Keep it holy. Keep the flock, it's used as a shepherd watching over his flock, the good shepherd, keeping the flock, tending the flock. It's used to keep watch over captives like a jailer who's keeping an eye on all those in the prison, like the angel who guarded the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve were sent from the garden because of their sin. It carries the idea of watching over someone, protecting them, but it's also the idea of a storehouse, like a treasury, a place to keep treasure near and dear and close. So how do you keep your heart? How do you keep the heart of a child? How do you guard the heart? How do you tend the heart? How do you nurture the heart? Kids are so good at asking the obvious questions, aren't they? Kids say the darndest things. What is a heart? Is it that beating that I feel in my chest, that muscle, that organ that pumps blood around my system? Is it the little cartoon symbol that my daughter draws on absolutely everything? What is the heart? We refer to the heart in a different sense, and so does scripture, Psalm 73 and verse 26. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's a differentiation between the flesh and the heart. The outer man, the flesh, and the inner man, the heart. The outer part of us that we see and the inner part of us that only God sees. The outer man and the inner man. 
It's not necessarily talking about the organ, the flesh of the organ of the heart, because the heart is made of flesh. Scripture is referring to something much deeper. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the passage I preached last year on Church Rally Sunday. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The heart and the soul are linked. These deep, immaterial parts of who we truly are in the inner man. Might is different than the strength of your biceps. It's an inner force. It's, it's a force of the will. The Bible's referring to the heart much more deeply than the muscle in our chest. Love and might are deeply sensed expressions of the soul. You've heard it said that the heart is the seat of the emotions. And actually, in these cultures in this day, oftentimes they would refer to the kidney or the bowels or the intestines as the seat of the emotions. Like, I love you with all my guts. I feel it in my guts. There's a Greek term, splagna. He had compassion on them. He felt it in his guts. Um, if you ever want a good laugh, Mark Lowry does a spoof of Billy Ray Cyrus's achy, breaky heart, except he calls it my, my achy bowels. I think it is. So um, if you want to give that a listen, it's, it's a good laugh. But the heart is the seat of the emotions. This can be in a poetical sense, but also in somewhat of a scientific sense. If I were to call your name right now and say, come up on stage, like all of those, uh, those teens who were baptized and the Journey kids and Momentum Youth volunteers who came up on stage, if I called your name and said, come up on stage, maybe because of your fear of being up in front of people or public speaking, your heart would leap in your throat, Right? and you have this actual physical response, and your body releases these chemicals, like maybe you're in shock. Have you ever been scared, and you start to immediately sweat, and the adrenaline's pumping, your blood's pumping, you get excited, your heart beats faster, you get embarrassed, your cheeks get flushed, maybe you blush. Your heart has these physiological and emotional connections. When you experience emotion, your heart responds physically. There's a deep connection there. Keeping the heart is deeper than just affecting emotions, though. It's got to be deeper than just the emotional butterflies. Psalm 37 and verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. Just a few pages over. Psalm 40 and verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. The heart is the deep place in the inner man where we store deep truths and knowledge. The truth we keep in our heart is the truth that we live our life by. From the heart flows the springs of life, Proverbs 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart. When you lay something down, it's, it's going into a deep place, right? Lay it in your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. There's a sense of memory to our heart. In fact, the things we feel with our heart are often the things that we remember most. When we have an emotional response, chemicals are released in our brain and they help us to remember what we just experienced. It's the deep place where we can store important knowledge, experiential knowledge, where knowledge and emotion collaborate and collide. It's where we keep our important memories tucked in our heart. I understand that we store knowledge in our minds, in our brains, that makes sense. 
but when tr- we, we treasure applied experiential knowledge, knowledge that we have lived out with our hearts, things we don't just know in our mind, but truths that we experience and know in our heart. Deuteronomy is Moses' sermon to Israel before they entered the promised land. He's calling them to remember, to treasure the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the wilderness, preserved them. That's not just something they knew with their mind. It's not just a list of names and dates and places. It's something they experienced in their hearts because they were there. They knew those people. It was their God, not just a story a story that they're reading on the pages of scripture. They probably have a very different experience to us when they're reading the book of Numbers. It's not just a list of names. It's it's those Hebrew people. It's their names. It's their life or death deliverance. They themselves experienced it by the hands of a loving God. It's their name. It's their story. It's not just a story. It's their story. Their very experience. It's treasured in their hearts. I've often thought about what was said of Mary in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Then later on, Luke chapter 2, verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary didn't just remember. She treasured those memories in her heart. I, every time I read that, every time I go through the Christmas story, I just picture Mary seated, maybe in the kitchen, maybe in the dining room, looking out through the window and just kind of daydreaming as she looks into the sky. I don't know at all if that's the scene of, of what's here, but it's, it's what comes to mind. You know that, that picture on your face? When you're deep in thought and your mind is elsewhere, Mary treasured up all these things. She pondered them in her heart. To treasure means to keep close. Something so important, you don't want to let it out of your sight. It's a Greek compound word, keep and close. And keep is the same meaning as the Hebrew word shamar that we talked about at the start. Keep your heart with all diligence. To keep your heart above all else. To treasure is to keep close. And to ponder is to throw together. It's like a tossed salad. You take all the memories and thoughts and reflection, and then you try and reconcile them. You think them over. You talk them over. You chew them over in your mind. You ponder. Treasure and pondered all these things in our heart. Do you remember when um, scrapbooking was a big thing? Anybody scrapbooked? Yeah? I never appreciated scrapbooking as a young man. (laughs) I always thought it was a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of details. And it doesn't happen so much these days from what I see and what I hear. Um, It seems to be taken over by the cell phone, the camera, digital photos stored in the cloud, shared on social media. Maybe you print off a book, right, of the pictures so you have a physical copy. But as far as scrapbooking, you know, you know what, what I've been thinking about this week and what maybe I should appreciate more and we should appreciate more about scrapbooking is that as you're going through those pictures or those letters or those awards, those physical memories, 
And as they're committed to a page in a binder, and maybe there's little pieces of paper that are delicately cut out that pop up when you open the page. Maybe there's ribbon, maybe there's string stitched, maybe there's different material, color patterns, different arrangement on there. All the time and all the creative energy and all the specific little intricate details are wrapped around time spent treasuring and pondering those important memories. I think that's what scrapbooking is all about. It's not really about the finished product. It's about those memories, isn't it? Mary spent all this time treasuring and pondering these things in our heart. In our fast-paced social media digitally stored culture, maybe we've lost some of the time-taking treasuring and pondering those important memories and deep truths. To sit through 34 chapters of Deuteronomy, which was a sermon that Moses preached to the people of Israel, was a lot of time spent treasuring and pondering, sitting, listening, remembering, thinking. I was chatting with Jason McClellan this week, and he shared something that he had written. I asked him if I could share it today. Jason writes, The more I stand under God and his ways, the more I understand God and his ways. And he said, it's almost like a palindrome. You can, you can flip it over and say it backwards. The more I understand God and his ways, the more I stand under God and his ways. And I think that just ties in with that idea of pondering, treasuring, remembering, thinking, laying it deep within our hearts, meditating on scripture. Is that not what it's all about? Here's where maybe we tend to go off the rails in our desire to train up a child in the way he should go so that when he's old, he will not depart from it. Here's, I think you can fall on two sides of the cliff when it comes to disciplining your, your kids. There's, there's a modern approach of helicopter parenting, soft parenting, you never say no, you never say don't. You just kind of free range, just let your kids do what they want and then you know, some, someday they'll click it together and they'll figure it out. And then there's this other side where it's very strict, very legalistic, very rule-oriented, very behavior-centered. You know the two sides of the line that I'm talking about? I tend to fall on the right-hand side of that line. A little too legalistic, a little too focused on the rules. We, we tend to separate the academic from the emotion. We make Christianity into rules to be memorized rather than a truth to be treasured. A list to be committed to memory instead of a lifestyle to be committed to heart? Let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs, a father writing to his son about wisdom. Proverbs is all about wisdom, and wisdom by definition is applied knowledge, experience knowledge, truth experience, living God's way. The knowing the right thing to do, and then the doing the right thing. Proverbs 23, verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. Do you see how the writer of Proverbs links the heart and the inmost being? Verse 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. A wise heart 
makes a parent's heart glad. Not a heart of envy, but a heart directed by wisdom. Not an emotional heart, not a reactionary heart reacting to everything without thought, but a wise heart, a directed heart that responds in light of the truth, the deep values in which it was nurtured, the trajectory, the direction of the innermost being. So how do we keep the heart of a child? Like Adam and Eve were commanded to keep the garden, to nurture it, to tend it, to watch over it. Psalm 119. If you want to take some time this week, read through this scripture right here. It's a very unique psalm. It mentions God's word with with a different title and different verbiage in every verse of Psalm 119. Take some time and read through it. But in verse 9, it says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, according to your word. It's the same Hebrew word, shamar, which means to keep. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard it according to your word. Verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. That's the term treasure. I've kept it close. That I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I remember memorizing that verse in high school. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Memorize, meditate, declare, delight. What is it that we want our children to hold on to in their innermost being, their deepest memories, deepest thoughts and truths? What do we want them to never forget? What do we declare to them emphatically? What do we delight in? What do they perceive us as delighting in and celebrating? What puts a smile on our faces? What gets celebrated? As I was thinking about this through the week, I had to admit that my natural practice with my kids often points to my rules. I uh, look in the rearview mirror and I say, remember, hands are for helping, not for hurting. Let's keep our hands to ourselves. And I walk across the backyard and I declare emphatically, if you're going to take your bikes out of the shed, you better put them back in the shed when you're done. So I don't want to run over them with the lawnmower. I always try and challenge them with that. If you leave it out, I'm going to run over it with the lawnmower. (laughs) We sit at supper and I say, we're at supper. We're all right here. Let's use our indoor voice. And what I do naturally without even thinking, I make my rules the authority, the ultimate authority. And it's my rules that tend to get celebrated. And when the child follows my rules, it puts a smile on dad's face and it becomes all about their good behavior according to dad's rules. And what I'm realizing, to my shame, is that I need to connect my voice of authority 
with God's ultimate authority. Because there will come a day when my kids are not under my roof, and they're not necessarily under my authority. But there will never come a time, as long as they have breath in their lungs, when they are not under God's authority. So it needs to turn into something like this. I look in the rearview mirror and I ask, hey guys, what does Jesus say about how we're supposed to use our hands? Is it to help one another or hurt one another? What about the good Samaritan? What's that story all about? If someone strikes you on the cheek, bless those who pray for who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. In the backyard, hey guys, how, Je- how would Jesus want us to treat our stuff? Is God the author of chaos? <laughs> no, they don't quite understand that one, but something like, hey, who gave us that stuff anyway? Who created the material so that somebody could make this stuff so that we could enjoy it? Who gave us the strength in our bodies so that we could ride our bikes? It needs to sound something more like that and point back to God's ultimate authority. When we're sitting at the supper table, hey guys, what does the Bible say about how we talk to one another? Have you heard that verse about how a soft answer turns away wrath? And then you have to actually get soft like that, right? Isn't isn't that a teaching tactic with kids? You get softer, you don't get louder. The fool mocks with his lips, the scoffer says in his heart, right, how we're supposed to talk to each other. This is what God's word says. In the abundance of words, there is folly. So if you have a question, ask it. Stop saying mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, daddy. What are we declaring? What are we delighting in in our daily practices? Good behavior or God's truth? What are we treasuring? What are we remembering? What are we meditating on? Dad's rules or God's ways? What's the treasure that we want our kids to keep close and ponder in their hearts? What's at stake? Luke chapter 6. Jesus tells us what's at stake if children don't have this foundation built deep within their innermost being. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We don't have time to unpack everything in there, but I want to point out that verse right there. Doesn't that sound a lot like Proverbs chapter 4? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. And then Jesus gives this parable. We're probably very familiar with this parable. Here's how this plays out. This beautiful word picture that he paints. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to? Why do you take my truth up here, but not let it apply here and here? Why do you just listen to my words as some sort of academic textbook, but you never actually apply the knowledge and wisdom and live out my ways? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Verse 47. 
everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, that's truth applied, which is wisdom, which is what Solomon is talking about, I will show you what he is like. You ready? Verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against it, that house could not shake it, could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Wisdom, the next generation, solid foundations. Does anybody have memories as a kid of a little backyard pool that you played in on hot summer days? We're, we're making those memories with our kids right now with a little pool in the backyard. And Pat helped me out with some sand there last year to put underneath it and it made for a nice soft bottom and helped out the yard and it worked really well. And then this year I had this great idea. If I raise the outsides of the pool, the inside gets deeper, right? Doesn't that make sense? If you raise, raise up the frame on the outside, then all the material will sag lower and then when I stand in the middle, I'll be at a more comfortable level. So, I decided I'd, I'd screw some wood to the bottom of each leg, and then I would shovel more sand underneath each leg and stack the leg up to where I wanted it. And I head out my, uh, my level on each little piece, and I got it just so, so that when I drive in the driveway and I look across, <laughs> just straight as an arrow, and it does my heart good. <laughs> and it, it, didn't, it didn't last very long, Jesse, not at all. Because with all the rain that we got this summer, and with my kids jumping in and out of the pool and church functions and friends and family, the water flowed out over the side of the pool, ran down the material and washed all the sand out from underneath. So now there's a big divot in the center and then it's built up on these sand piles and then it falls down to the frame on the outside. It hasn't let go yet. I'm just waiting for a big gush over the backyard. But when I drive in the driveway now and I look across the top of my pool, it's all crazy and wonky and pointed in every different direction because... I tried to raise the sides up on a foundation of sand, and when those waves came and the wind, it washed out the foundation from under it. And the direction and the orientation and the trajectory of the top rim of that pool is in every direction, <laughs> headed for the moon. <laughs> Foundations matter. Digging down deep matters. There's no deeper place than the heart of every man, woman, and child. So what is the treasure that's being in the heart of the, being hidden in the heart of the next generation? The struggle and frustration being we're not able to see, to know, or to change the deep places of the heart. We just get a little glimpse of the fruit every once in a while. Our son Reese can be really oblivious sometimes because he takes after his father. And he looks off into the distance, and you can tell his mind's somewhere else. And Elsie and I will often say, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder where his little head's at. How deep do those thoughts go? What's hidden in his heart? There's a freedom in knowing that we need to release the work of the heart to the creator of the heart. The one who died to cleanse the heart from all sin. This is why it's so important that the next generation has God's word treasured 
and hidden in their hearts rather than a list of mom and dad's rules. So back to Proverbs as we conclude. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Praise God. Proverbs 21 and verse 1, just a few pages over. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 39. In parentheses in my English Standard Version, it says, For you, you only, speaking of God, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19. God speaking to Israel. I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. God knows the heart. God judges the heart. God changes the heart. And only God's truth, treasured up and stored close, hidden within the heart, is the foundation on which to build a life. So here's my one big application as we conclude. Church Rally Sunday. Kids and youth, next generation. Whether you're the parent, whether you're the grandparent, the aunt, the uncle, the friend, the teacher, the mentor, the discipler, the kids and youth volunteer, let's give the next generation every opportunity to hide God's word in their hearts, not just in knowledge, but in experience. Let's help them feel God's truth deep in their hearts. And that happens as we live from a deep well of God's truth hidden within our own hearts. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's conclude in prayer if we could. Can we stand together as we pray? Before cafe, before the team rally this afternoon, before whatever you have planned this week, let's commit this week to the Lord. Let's take a moment, observe our own hearts, Purify our hearts, God. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bring us back to our first love as Jay opened the service. A broken and contrite spirit. In humility. Would we treasure your word deep in our hearts? Would we meditate on your word? 
hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against God. We claim that promise that when your word goes out, it will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent out. We know that's true with Jesus Christ. He was the word made flesh and he accomplished the purpose for which he was sent to this earth. And it's only through his death, burial, and resurrection, his triumph over sin and hell and the grave, the devil and his demons. God, thank you that his victory can become our reality. And by faith and trust in the Son of God, we can receive the indwelling of the Spirit of God, your personal Holy Spirit, that can guide us in truth because your word is truth, illuminating the scriptures to us, calling back to memory in the hour that we need it, the words to speak. God, thank you for the gift of your Son, for the gift of your Spirit for your words that are life, help us to treasure them deep in our hearts. And God, as we do this actively, as the older generations in this church, God, would you give us a focus on the younger generations who have yet to hide your word and treasure them up and ponder them in their heart. God, help us to present every opportunity. We know that ultimately you judge the heart, you see the heart, you know the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God, you see the heart. So God, we, we release the burden and the weight of feeling that this is all up to us. God, we thank you that you work in the heart of every man, woman, and child. God, thank you that your word is at work. Thank you that the gospel message is just as powerful today as it was on that resurrection Sunday as the women carried the news. But God, would you help us to pass on this torch and to be responsible with the gift of your word that you've entrusted to us. Help us to pass it on to faithful men and women who can teach others also. God, we think of the Journey Kids team and the Momentum Youth team that we had up on this stage and they all squeezed in and we got a wide angle shot so everybody participating at home could see them. We celebrated them, we honored them, we support them, we pray for them. But God, the reality is that being part of this church family means we're part of those teams as well. And we have a duty, we have a responsibility to be living out the truth of your word and applying that knowledge and wisdom, living it out before the next generation. Help us in word, in deed, in thought, in action, in emotion to paint a picture of what it is to treasure your words in our heart. Lead us on the right path according to your word, Father. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.